Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Even before I started publishing my podcast, while doing my prep work, Janice is one of the first women that I reached out to be a guest on my show. She respectfully denied it saying that many people start and leave after a bit and asked me to come back if I'm actually starting and established myself. Like she mentioned, I did get in touch with her few times and finally got her S. Trust me, it is all worth it after hearing her. Instead of me spilling it at now, I would like you people listen and feel for yourself. But I'll surely let you know what I feel at the end. Hello everybody, I have Janice Lins with me today. Janice is an empowerment speaker who provides practical solutions to how people can overcome what seems like obstacles to achieve success and affect significant change. She uses real life examples from work, changing hearing access for people with hearing loss. She is a retired attorney who affected change by happenstance after a doctor diagnosed her daughter's hearing loss. She triumphed over adversity, including domestic violence. She also traveled 194 countries, territories, and unrecognized nations. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to our show, Janice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, can you can you please tell us like what you are doing right now with the hearing impaired and empowering other women from your experiences? So my goal is to affect global change for people with hearing loss so that the bar is not lowered for someone because they have a disability. So I read one of your article, uh, which says like freedom to passport. Sorry, passport to freedom. Yes, it is passport to freedom. So in that you mentioned one of the lines was like, you have to be really well known to be mattered. Why do you think that you have to be well known to, to be matter or like your voice need to matter outside? Well, I think that, you know, we, we saw the Me Too movement uh-huh. and in the Me Too movement, it was matter because the people involved were celebrities. And I think there are many women out there that when domestic violence happens to them, they don't get the same results. They can't get the same people to care. They're dismissed. They're told to, um, it wasn't abusive enough. The thought, and there aren't, let's say, volumes of people, you know, with the Weinstein, Epstein, um, Cosby, you had all these celebrities coming forward. And I think that is what finally drew the media's attention. But there are so many women who are either sexually assaulted or abused by their husbands, and nobody seems to care. And there's basically nothing you can do. And so when that happened, I complained about being abused and no one seemed to care. There's, and, and it's felt to me as if the more money you have, the longer you could prolong a divorce, the longer you can bring motions and appeals. And there was nothing a person without money could do. And as I was a non-moneyed spouse, so as a non-moneyed spouse, I didn't have the resources nor even with my limited resources that I eventually did have, do I want to spend on protracted litigation? My divorce has gone on for over 14 years. Who wants to spend millions of dollars on this nonsense? But someone who is out for revenge can use the court system to do what they can no longer do with their hands. And nobody seems to care 
because if you're not famous, you're just collateral damage. That's my personal opinion, by the way. With by telling your story right now, what kind of a change are you thinking that we can make or like you can get by your story? Well, what I'm hoping, and I can't remember her name because she's a new congressional member, but there's a new congressional member who just published an article um, yesterday or two days ago in the New York Times about domestic violence. And I find that the conversations about domestic violence tend to be about either very poor people or famous people. But hmm. there's a lot of people in the middle yep. and I'm in the middle group. And so I would like to see that the discussion involve the full spectrum of women. There's this perception when I testified in Congress about domestic violence that as the other woman who self-described herself as the poor black woman, she was happy to see me as she considered me the quote, rich white woman, even though I wasn't. My ex-husband might have had funds, but I didn't, as I quickly found out in the court. But there shouldn't be a perception that domestic violence only happens to one race, one economic bracket, or and that it, it involves a lot of women. And we need to all be part of the conversation. And so that's one. Um, and secondly, um, what this Congresswoman was discussing was adding new laws. And I wrote to her because we don't need more laws. We need the laws that we currently have enforced. We need the orders that women may receive enforced. So if an order is issued, it's not there to be as a, just a piece of paper to wrap fish with. It is actually meant to have meaning and we need to have those orders enforced and we need to have the laws enforced. And a perfect example of that is in the state of New York. If a husband doesn't pay the ordered support, a woman is supposed to be able to go into the court and get an income execution order. Well, that doesn't happen, at least with my judge. And even though I had proof from the bank, he didn't pay the support, we ended up having an audit where the IRS commissioner was involved. The IRS felt there was a problem, but this is crazy. Like, what is it? It, it? Do those income execution orders only apply to certain men or do they apply to all men? And like, so that's a perfect example of a law where it exists, but it was not executed. And as a woman with no funds, I have no way to make a judge actually do her job. And so, so for me, um, when I discuss these topics, it's about shining a bright light because, you know, as I don't remember if it's the New York Times or the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness, as we've seen in this country. And my goal is to shine a light on abusive judges who don't follow the laws or the orders. I believe you are a retired attorney. I mean, as your bio says, you are a retired attorney. So you being an attorney, what kind of a differences are like the gaps that you have seen in the system for not having that proper judgment for this middle layered woman? Well, as a retired attorney, right? And I never practiced matrimonial law, right? I only practiced for about a year and a half because I, then I was a stay-at-home mom with my children. But I still, there are certain fundamental principles and there's a certain integrity that is meant to be with that law. So a perfect example is my ex-husband's attorney hired the judge we were before for 12 years. And there's a rule 
in New York State called 1.12 that when you hire that judge, you must give notice to the other side. And nobody provided notice. Now, the, the new judge then said, well, you were before the appellate court. You weren't before the, the Supreme Court, the lower court. Well, that's not actually true because we had someone, a receiver on the case who was sending letters to that judge. So it's all so convenient, right? But it, from a common sense point of view, if you were before a judge for so many years, the case is not final, right? The finances are not done. How would you feel if your ex-husband hired the judge after you were there? And then suddenly it makes suspect all those rulings that never made sense. It makes you wonder. And that's why these rules are in place, right? And it, it, as um, I think it was Justice Cart, you know, if it walks like a duck, it is a duck, right? It, it makes every single ruling where she didn't address the abuse, the non-payment of support and, and, and myriads of rules, it makes you wonder. How long before was that agreement to hire her? How much is she being paid? Anytime you can have those questions, it makes you wonder. And so for me, that is really troubling. And, and this is part of what I really want an investigation. And this, by the way, is not just me with these issues. I ultimately filed a petition um, online on change.org seek and and so many people wrote the same stories and the same comments about the same judge and when there's smoke there's fire and nobody ever investigated so for me this is really troubling and i think we've gone too long where this type of cronyism in my this is of course my opinion in my opinion cronyism and corruption has got to end we need to restore integrity to the country and by restoring integrity to the country, we have to restore integrity to our judicial system. You have mentioned that you got one phone call chance uh, for one of the reasons from judge, and you used that phone call to call uh, Vice President Joe Biden's office, now president. So why do you choose to call their office? At any given chance, if I was given a chance to call somebody, I might have cried, uh, sorry, called my mom and started crying over there like this, something is happening. But your presence of mind at that point, to use that one chance that was given to you to reach out to somebody who can help. And also concluding of that phone call you mentioned, like you were released uh, less than 10 minutes from there, from the situations you were in. So what made you to call to that level or like versus you are close people to at least express that emotional support there. I didn't want emotional support. Um, the situation that occurred was my ex-husband wasn't paying my support and, the, and he just told the court that he had paid the support and the judge did not request proof, you know, the way normal people would, you know, show me the canceled bank checks, show me the wire transfer. No, she just took his word, which was in an accurate. And I demanded and spoke out of turn. I admit I spoke out of turn, but I had reached a point where it was unfathomable to me that someone could just lie. And that's what it was. And she just takes his word. And like, nobody seems to care. I felt like I was like in, you know, like this with kangaroo court. And so when I spoke out of turn, she threatened to throw me in jail. I think it was 10 days. I don't remember how many days it was, but she was threatening to throw me into Rikers and she put me in handcuffs. I couldn't believe this. 
And I knew if I, I don't remember if my mother was deceased at this point, but even if I called any friend, they would not be able to help me. I didn't want an emotional support. I wanted a solution. I'm very solution-based. And I had been very fortunate to be nominated um, as a, from the United States of Women Conference. That was Michelle Obama's um, conference as a nominated change maker for the work that I do in hearing access. And I just believe that coincidences don't happen. I happened to sit next to the head of uh, then Vice President Biden's head of domestic violence, Janie Wu. And I had her contact information in my phone. And so I told the court I was entitled to one call. And so I called um, Jamie and she, I was terrified. Absolutely, you know, to be threatened with jail, of, I didn't do anything wrong. Yes, I did speak out of turn, but I should mention whenever my ex-husband did anything, she would sanction him with a financial sanction. She only threatened jail to me. He received financial sanctions, I received jail threats of jail time. And it was meant to silence me and terrorize me because I'm not somebody who even gets parking tickets, right? I don't get, I don't do things wrong, right? I follow the rules. And so she knew she was terrorizing me into submission and that's what it was meant. And so um, Jamie Wu just spoke to me. She just kept talking to me. And the police officers who were there, um, you can imagine, were surprised, right? When someone says, I'm going to call the vice president's office, I don't think most people believe you, right? Yeah. And I did, and they could hear it. And so one of them went out and I presume because I wasn't there, I was handcuffed to a chair, told the judge, and all I know is I was released. I shouldn't need to be able to call the vice president's office or now the president's office, right? That is just insane. But threatening and intimidating a woman who's already been abused, right? Who no longer trusts the system and then further trying to abuse her and placing her in harm's way, that's not judicial system, that's not justice. And, and, and the court, you know, I, I once went to a conference in, at Yale where the uh, head of the International Crime Criminal Court spoke and he talked about Darfur and he used a perfect analogy and said, when you get on the tennis court, the line should stay the same no matter who gets on the tennis court. The lines of the tennis court should not shift depending on who's playing. Yes. A and in this courtroom, the lines moved depending on who was playing. And, and he spoke of, at the time, Darfur and discussed how in Darfur, they didn't even have to rape women. They just had to threaten to rape women. And that was what was happening to me. The lines kept shifting and, they would, and threats were used to intimidate and terrorize me. It still gives me nightmares and that still is just beyond inappropriate. And then when you find out year, you know, later that your ex-husband has attorney has hired her, it gives you pause for concern. When was that negotiation done? Was there a quid pro quo? What, you know, what's going on here? When you are mentioning that line shift, line sh shift with the player that who is playing, let's just say, for example, like a normal person like me, when those kind of lines shift 
because I'm an our person, what kind of a resources that I can reach to? Are you aware of any resources that I can reach to? If I'm given, if I'm there in that situation and I have been given only one phone call chance, I don't even have a clue whom I have to call to if I, if I don't need an emotional support, but needed to be out of that situation. You being into that level of people, I'm mean, annoying to that level of people, you are able to come out of that situation using that one phone call. But for me, I don't even know anybody, for example. So what kind of resources that I can reach out to at the point of time to at least get a minimal help for me? Well, that's part of why I've been out so outspoken and I've written articles and testified in Congress um, before the Judiciary Committee, the Moreland Commission. Um, it's because I know that I've had that access and because of the work I've done with hearing loss, I've had access to people. So I use it to pay it forward. And it's very important to me that selfishly you don't, you have a, I have a responsibility to not only help myself, but then to pay it forward to benefit other people. And that's really the mission that drives me in both my work on um, violence against women and against um, hearing loss. Because I do think as I've benefited from contacts and people who have been incredibly helpful to me, I have to pay it forward because I can never ever thank them enough. I do think the one, that said, I do think there are ways of creating contacts. So attending in every community, there are, you know, not during the pandemic, this is a nightmare, right? It, because even if you, you can go, but non-pandemic times, when you can go to um, events, universities, um, local city council events, or any sort of community events, like at the library, there are people who, politicians who come to speak. There are authors who come to speak or to peddle their book. Go to them, get to meet them, ask them for their card. Continue the conversation afterwards, asking either for help, suggesting changes to legislation, become a resource to them, like whatever topic you're working, whatever your issue is. So let's say it's domestic violence, right? And We've all, anyone that's gone through the system, I, I'm not even talking, not incarceration, but like been abused and gone through the judicial system, has ideas of where there are changes that could be made, right? So even if you go to a conference, and I go to conferences on a variety of topics, I don't just stick to um, conferences on violence against women, because you'll never meet enough of the right people. So I've gone to one time when I was doing hearing access, I went to a conference in Pennsylvania, uh, not Pennsylvania, Maryland, at the John Hopkins University on sex trafficking, because I wanted to meet somebody who was deputy counsel for Mayor Bloomberg, and she was speaking at that conference. I didn't know anything about sex trafficking. It was very informative and really expanded my viewpoint, but I went to meet somebody. I went to another conference on climate change because I wanted to meet Stephen Sachs from the Earth Institute of Columbia University. And he inspired my hearing access pro pro program and gave me the suggestion of building um, a model in New York City. Finally, another conference I went to was on credit cards where Senator Warren was speaking at um, Hunter's Roosevelt House. And she was speaking about credit cards and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, right? Seemingly unrelated to, to hearing aids. Yep. 
actually it was very related because she was talking about credit cards, which are a monopoly. And I felt the hearing aids were a monopoly. So I asked her for help on how to break the hearing aid monopoly. The person who ran the school was actually annoyed because I interjected a topic unrelated in her opinion to the topic, but Senator Warren brilliantly saw the connection and ultimately introduced with Senator Grassley the over-counter hearing aid bill that I helped to motivate. So it is amazing how these disparate topics, right, are really interconnected, but even more than that, the people who are speaking are the game changers. So if I had, let's say, I was going about violence against women, let's just stick to that, right? And I saw Senator, and let's say I saw Senator Warren was speaking. Well, I could then approach her at the conference and ask a question, like, I can't think of it right now how I would tie it together, but because I'm trying to like think, okay, what did she talk about? Like, it, it's a long time ago that she, that was 2011. Okay. And I'm trying to remember what she spoke about. But if there's a, usually when I sit there, I could think someone will say something and that's almost like a hook. And then I will figure out a way to tie it. And then you, you ask her if you can send information. And then if, for example, let's say you figure out a way, she says, yes, can you send me some information on what your suggestions are? And you send a very succinct, comprehensive white paper, but succinct, like one, two pages, no one's reading more than that. Of, and you write a document where you frame the issue at the top, what the background is, what the discussion is, and what your conclusion is, right? Very professional, something that you were per giving to a, like a corporate client. Mm -hmm. You suddenly become a resource. And now you're engaging. Someone is going to respond to you. That's what happened with the hearing aids. Someone, and I had multiple conversations, multiple follow-ups, sent more documents. They needed information. I now have these people in my phone book. So God forbid an emergency. I'm not saying you, but you could build a network and it's not as hard because in every community, there are people that are coming through at some point. And, and sometimes if you're in a very rural isolated area, you may need to drive an hour or two, right? You may have to, if you're in a very rural area, it's probably much harder and you may have to go. But if you can go to these universities or libraries or whoever is speaking, but otherwise the other alternative, if let's say that isn't a possibility like now, you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to join webinars, right? And when they, there's a, let's say a conference or something and they say, oh, would you like to ask questions? You queue up with a thoughtful question, not you know just so you can hear yourself speak question. We all know those questions, yeah. but the ones where you ask a really thoughtful question and then you ask, how do I follow up with you? Yep. And then you do. And most people don't follow up, but you have to be comfortable. You must follow up. And you, you have to sometimes send four emails before they respond. Don't think that's being pushy. That is being on top of it because people are inundated with a lot of people contacting them. And so they're only gonna respond. Uh, Vernon Jordan told me this. He's a civil rights activist. He responded to me after four emails. He said, because I waited the appropriate amount of time, not too pushy, and he said he's too busy. So if someone's not interested, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but if someone is not you know, that interested in the topic, why should he respond? 
Yeah, makes sense. So I, it is really not as hard to reach out to people. And now with the internet, you can find everybody on the internet. Very few people are inaccessible. You also mentioned about your birthday party in your article, like you yourself celebrated your birthday party. End of that birthday day, you said like you felt your heart felt like you mattered. Why do you think that level of satisfaction came to you at the point of sign? Just you being all alone by yourself, just enjoying all the meal all around and doing that. You know, I think when you take self-care about yourself, mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I think, you know, anyone who is a mother feels guilt, right? It's supposed to be about your children, yes. 150%. We, in a, if you're a caring mom, you care about your kids 150%. And we don't get the time to take care of ourselves. And, um, you know, when I did that journey of traveling for two years, it was a really selfish endeavor. It was about me, something that was my dream. It was hard to explain to the kids why I had to do this. I think they thought I was having a midlife crisis. I wasn't. I was just doing my dream. And now um, in the middle of the pandemic, I seem like the smartest person that I took the two years, literally, I came home one day early from the trip as the pandemic started on March 13th, right? Like, so I look like I was this, you know, Susie, who could have anticipated like to do exactly two years before, I didn't. It was just, but you don't know what life is going to bring. And so doing this was the most amazing thing. So taking care of yourself is really important. It is very much like what they say, like on the plane, you have to give yourself oxygen before you can give other people oxygen. And related to your daughter, I believe, and you started all your hearing work, I mean, hearing impaired work related to your daughter. I mean, started from your daughter. So in that, you mentioned like, it is easier to change the world than to change our own standards. So why do you think it is easier to change the world? Because usually if somebody is asked a question or like there is a problem that you don't have solution, you will jump into a place thinking like, yeah, let's compromise or let's take whatever is thrown at me or like adjust to situation. Instead of adjusting to that situation, you stood up and you wanted to change the world. Why did you choose that path? path instead of adjusting or compromising like every other person? It's just not my nature. I just need to fix things. I'm a fixer. I solve problems people don't even know they have. And that's just who I am. My friends say like all the time, I will constantly fix. Like if a problem happens, I will solve it. That's just my goal is to fix, fix problems. And I was uninterested in this world of special, you know, and I say special in quotes. I didn't want to be part of special. I wanted to just live a regular life like everybody else did. And I didn't really understand why the bar was lowered. The doctor didn't even know my daughter. This was like a one-off doctor because of the way the insurance worked. I had to go, all my doctors were out of network and this, I had to go to an in-network doctor to get um, what I thought was speech therapy. So I went to this doctor for the first time and she didn't even know me. She didn't know my daughter and she made these determinations and we hadn't even wrapped, I hadn't even wrapped my head around the diagnosis of the hearing loss and she just lowered the bar. And no, I, I just, I don't know. It's just not who I am. And I just thought, no, I'm not going to do this. You're not going to tell me what I'm going to do. And I think it also, um, part that may not mention in the article, I wrote that a while ago was I had had a son who died during delivery. 
And so when he died during delivery, I had known something was wrong earlier. Um, when I briefly practiced law, I, part of what I did was medical malpractice. And I had sat in on a case where a woman's baby died. And I remembered listening to the how she knew the baby had died and her voice, I could just keep hearing it. And the doctor um, played me out to be, portrayed me as being this neurotic, hysterical, histrionic woman. And I wasn't, and then it turned out I was right. And I always say the difference between being paranoid and perceptive is being right. And so I went from where I could have taken charge, but I chose to listen to quote an expert. And then when my daughter was born, she almost died as well. She had that preemie disease. And I didn't know what was wrong, but it seemed to me she wasn't eating correctly. And my pediatrician, my daughter's pediatrician dismissed me. And so thankfully a fellow listened to me and he, what I apparently did not know, the symptoms I saw and accurately described were the warning signs of this preemie disease. And so because I didn't know that and I described them as this is what I noticed, this is what I noticed, and I was ticking off boxes, he listened and he saved her life. So after going through that, I was tired of people with their experts and, and like being dismissed as hysterical and histrionic. And so I think that's what it was. You know, my son's loss, if there could be um, a silver lining from that, which is hard to find, I think what it did was it empowered me to have confidence in my own the things I saw and to stand up to experts. Ooh. And that's probably why that I stand up to experts more than other people. I think it was from my son's death. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a lot to take. So thank you. You spoke about freedom a lot in your article, the one that I have read. So were you ever having a fear of freedom? Yes. When, you know, when someone threatens you with incarceration, for speaking your truth and you know it's true or when you can't leave your home and you're terrorized, it is. And for me, when I traveled for those two years and even on the in trips beforehand, it was freedom. I would leave the courthouse after every single motion, just devastated and I couldn't take it. And I would literally like run like I would, I just needed to get away from this insanity and I would leave on trips that were like crazy. I, I remember one time like booking a trip to Korea where I left the next morning after I testified in Congress um, the next morning, I left, I left for Korea. Another time I left court and the following morning I went to Aruba. One time for Taiwan, I left, left that night. I mean, I, I became really, I wrote an article for HuffPost, how to ready, set, go, I think it's called, how to pack really fast. I was like, I just wanted to get for, away from this crazy where I could be a normal person. You know, every time I was in this divorce court, I was portrayed also like hysterical, histrionic, you know, and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm this really capable, competent person who's able to affect significant change for people with hearing loss 
But when I go to this place in court, I'm like a crazy person. And like, I'm not. And I, but when I traveled, it was all that was behind me. I wasn't that person where I was so tired of being mischaracterized and treated so poorly. I felt I had no rights and I still feel that way. I feel like I, you know, when I'm, I feel like I don't have rights and what has gone on through this has been so insane that when I'm traveling, it is a, it is freedom. It's like the hot air balloons behind me from my trip to Miramar. It's like when you lift up, right? And you feel lighter, you know, as the balloon gets lit, you know, the fire below you is lit and you lift up. That's the way I felt. I felt like I lifted up like a hot air balloon when I traveled. So what, how do you change that kind of a mentality? Is that through just by traveling or like the mindset won't, won't change just by traveling. Traveling is just like a distraction is what I'm thinking, but what really changed your mindset to come out of that fear of freedom? Well, sometimes you need just a distraction, right? Like I can say during this pandemic, I definitely need that distraction, but you know, sometimes you, you need that because if, if you can't get out of the situation, right? Like my divorce has gone on 14 years. And if it allows you to by traveling to take a breath between the, the net before you climb the next mountain, it's a way to get re-energized. Now for me, that's traveling. Some people get it from working out or running. Everybody has um, something they do. The goal is to just not you know, self-medicate through drugs, alcohol, food, or um, anything like that. And, and that's what some people end up doing. For me, that was not a, a prior, you know, was not gonna be something that happened. So for me, my drug of choice was traveling, but everybody is different. It's finding something that allows you to take care of yourself and makes you happy. Where, what is your happy place? And I think each person, some people could be playing music, some people could be writing poetry, but finding something that is just your own that no one can take away from you. Although the pandemic has taken away my travel, I will say that. So, you know, but you have to have something that just is your, makes you happy. And I think everybody knows deep down inside what makes them happy. I think they're afraid to, to do it. And I will say before I went on the two-year journey, I had had cancer and I couldn't speak for um, fully for a year, but for partially for five months, I think, it was, yeah, five months. And I think that for me was a turning point where I realized like, I don't really know how long, like what could happen to me. I am so grateful my voice fully returned and I've been lucky. I've been cancer free, but I decided, you know, it was a wake up call for me. It was, I'm, it's now or never. And it, I cannot begin to say how happy I am that I did this trip. It was the most glorious thing. And I used, you know, as I read in the article, credit card points. It's yeah. about also finding ways to turn an obstacle into an opportunity. So when I had all these legal bills, I paid each bill to get a sign-up bonus. And that was my happy place, right? Like, so if I had, if I paid with one card that required a $3,000 spend and I, I had the money in my bank, don't ever incur debt. But rather than just pay the cash or a check, 
I paid 3,000, got one sign-up bonus. Then I would get another card and put the 3,000 on that. And I accumulated this massive stash of points, which enabled the trip. And it was amazing. I just think sometimes if you also put good out, good comes back to you and things just have a way of working out. I mean, look at our president, you know, look what he hasn't gone through. I mean, such sorrow. And he's also like, he's like a shining example of putting good out and good comes back to you. When you're mentioning like changing obstacles into opportunity, apart from traveling or like, uh, trying to get these things done. Is there any biggest obstacle that you faced that you changed, you were able to change it into opportunity? Well, I think my daughter's hearing loss, right? You know, this could have been a huge obstacle and I decided I would use it to change hearing access. But, you know, that's a perfect example. Because I worked on hearing access, I met these incredible people who then sometimes were able to help me, let's say with the divorce or various things, because you're putting out good, you develop a reputation for doing good work. And so I, you know, that's not why I did it, right? Obviously, but like uh, when you're doing good, it defines you as a person that you are a good person. And so that when you do, for this is my opinion, when you put out good, good comes back to you because people know you as a good person. You're tireless, you work hard, right? You have integrity. Those are qualities and characteristics that stay with you as a human being and define you. And so you don't suddenly become a bad person. So, you know, going through a divorce. And then when you have this um, juxtaposition that doesn't make sense, people then recognize that. And I just think if you put good out in the world, it does come back to you. And that's how I have to live my life. It may not be for everyone. It's really hard. I, I will say like, I'm going through more difficulties with that divorce now, and it is really hard, but then there'll be like little things that happen. And if you find the gratitude in each day, which also sounds trite, it gets you through it. Is there any other uh, message that you wanted to give to audience? Yes. You know, even when you think it's really bad, there is sunshine after rain. And I hate to use like one of these trite sayings after another, but they become sayings before a reason. There is always good that comes out. You know, it, it's like, it's horrible when you're going through it. It's just, there is just no other. But I found also, if you could find something that gives you pleasure during the bad, that you can use as a distraction, um, it does really help. And everybody has something that makes them happy. Some people it's writing. I think find what is your, a person's true passion and do that. What would you suggest for a person to have boundaries, limiting beliefs, and don't want to cross that line to achieve what they wanted to? What kind of a message or like that inspirational thought that you would be able to give to them to say to cross that line? you don't really have a choice, right? If, if you don't cross that boundary to do what you think you can't do, you are going to be stuck. And, you know, and then that, and then whatever it is that's keeping you down, that wins. And from, right. And I don't want that person to be controlling me for the rest of my life. You know, 
my ex-husband used to say to me like, oh, you pick up the phone and you call these people or you reach out to these people and like that was a negative. Well, it turns out it was a negative to keep me down and to keep me in a certain place, but it wasn't. That became my signature and led to a Forbes article about my contacting the queen about hearing access, but that contacting the queen led to changes at the Royal Collection, right? And, and all I did was write a letter and I received a lovely letter back, but over and over, I reach out to people. I also have a very strong feeling that nobody, I believe all people are the same, whether you're the janitor or the queen, I treat everybody the same. And so for me, I don't really see the difference. Just because someone's a CEO of a company, I don't understand why they're more important than I am. So when I reach out to them, it's because they're not running their company correctly, right? When I need help, it's because they, are, they have taken their eye off the ball and they are so insulated, they don't understand the problems that normal people are facing to get a problem resolved. So I regularly contact CEOs because otherwise I'm allowing them giving them their company permission to waste my time. And I'm not willing to give them permission to waste my time. My time is just as valuable as their time. So if I can't get a problem, I contact the CEO. I will try initially without and go through normal channels, but then I will do that because I want resolution and solution to the problem. I, I had a problem recently, I mean, unrelated with a bank. I couldn't enter my account. I couldn't get someone to respond. The wait time was an hour. It was ridiculous. I emailed the CEO. It turned out there was a glitch where somehow my account was inactivated. I hadn't even, op I had just opened the account. They didn't know why it happened. There is no way I would have got to the right person and I didn't have an hour to waste. Someone called me, the problem was done in five minutes. Wow. I just saved 55 minutes of my life, right? <laughs> But if you, it's not like we all have problems, right? During the day, where if you have more than one of those, you've just wasted a half a day. Yes. I'm unwilling to waste my time. I, I want to travel. Were you never been backlashed by any of these uh, things? Like, I mean, you are reaching out to people and you are reaching out to them twice, thrice or whatever. And then you are trying to tell them like, yeah, there needs to be a change done because they are not doing it properly or whatever the thought process that you have. Were you never been backlashed by any of them saying like, who are you to tell me what I have to do? Or like, I already know this. I know how to manage these things. Were you never been asked that kind of question? I have. Um, by the way, I say it nicely. I, you know, I don't like, you know, say to someone, you know, you're not running it properly. I, I present it in a much more professional tone. Of course, of course. Right? Sorry. Yes. But um, yes, I have been. And, but I've ended up, you know, I've been, I remember once it was a museum like threatened to sue me. I testified against them and, and they realized that it was, you know, they hired a consultant who actually told them I was right in the meeting. <laughs> they turned to them and said, she's right. Like, <laughs> but yes, there has been, um, there was one famous person, I don't want to say the whole story, but who didn't, but you know what? It's kind of like you throw enough stuff against the wall and some you win, some you lose, like anything in life, right? When you play baseball, you don't win every game. It's the same thing. But resolving the problems for, let's say, what the issues I'm working on are, you know, if let's say it's my banking issue, right? That frees me up to work on hearing access problems. So I can't have a bank wasting my time. 
on nonsense because they have a problem. It's not my problem, it's their problem that they've pushed onto me, but it frees up my time to work on really significant projects. But on the hearing access, I know I'm doing it for good reason. And when I have many times had pushback, but then you have to look to see, develop ingenious ways to resolve the problem. And that could mean um, filing complaints against them with federal agencies. It could mean testifying, which I've done, um, including in Congress. It could mean um, filing complaints, you know, federal comments. I've done that as well. So if you get that type of pushback that, you know, depending on what the topic is, there are agencies that can deal, like for example, a bank, you can file a complaint with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and then you have them, you know, go, they contact the bank, right? And then the bank can necessarily get away with the nonsense if they're doing that, right? But there are, there are solutions. You just, when you contact people, you have to have a real problem. You can't just contact them for nonsense. But you have to have a real problem. And if you do have a real problem with, a, and I find it very helpful if you have a solution. So for the hearing access, I try to provide solutions. Now, there are plenty of museums that don't want to implement the access. So then I will, find, I will use legal channels, like I mentioned, to resolve the problem. You just can't whine. You just can't send letters where it's like just rants. And you have to also be respectful to the people who are on the phone. Like that's another, you can't, you know, people who call up and curse out people, that doesn't work either. For this hearing aid work, what exactly you work on that and what is your goal or like, what do you want to achieve with it? My goal is to have hearing access available globally in a uniform standard. Uh, access is either effective, that it works, like effective communication or it's not. And I want to have a global standard. So wherever you travel to, the access is in place. Wherever you go, there is one standard that works. The equipment works. I want to make sure anyone who needs hearing aids has hearing aids. They can afford hearing aids. Hearing aids are not the new status symbol for the wealthy. That is really, really important to me. There are a lot of impoverished countries and people don't have access to hearing aids. If um, there are some companies that try to sell solar hearing aids, but the problem is you have to charge those yep. hearing aids in, in the sun. And the sun is only during the day and not during the night when you want to charge your hearing aids and take them out. So that doesn't really work. And people need access to hearing aids. And for me, that is critical. So driving down the price of hearing aids is really a top priority for me, but not just drive the price down, making sure they work. There are standards in place and that those standards are tested, those features of the hearing aids are tested. That is the number one project I'm working on right now. Anyone who needs hearing aids should be able to afford and receive quality working hearing aids. Isn't it helpful when Janice explained on how to create contacts as her paying it forward in helping people with situations in domestic violence and hearing loss by quoting, well known to be heard or else you are a collateral damage. I have learned in dealing with situations with presence of mind and focus on solution instead of choosing an emotional support at our downtimes. The self-love that she speaks, speaks a lot. The confidence that she portrays when she says it is easier to change the world than to change our own standards. 
bar is not lowered because of disability or for not being known. Act on it now. Okay, thank you for tuning in and you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.